This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Alexa Buckley, what a woman. She's a Harvard graduate, Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient of 2016, and the co-founder of the New York-based woman's shoe brand Margot. The two-year-old brand is famous for its made-to-measure Italian leather ballet flat and positions itself as the modern shoe for the modern woman. I had the absolute pleasure of getting to speak with Alexa at a gorgeous studio in New York City and learn of her journey and her story to becoming somewhat of an infamous and innovative 20-something-year-old shoe designer in New York. Take a listen. Alexa, welcome to The Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, you know, I reached out to you on LinkedIn um, after seeing you and your co-founder, Sarah, featured in the Forbes 30 Under 30 of 2016. And, you know, for for some context for all of our listeners, um, this was a completely random message um, that explained essentially what we're doing here at the Peers Project and also our interest in interviewing Alexa and Sarah. And I just have to say, Alexa, that your response was so heartwarming um, and, and very encouraging. You said, thank you so much for thinking of me. I would be thrilled to participate. So I just want to thank you for that um, really comforting response. Um, and often, you know, when you're just going out there and reaching out to people on the other side of the world, it's not always the case. So, Of course. Yeah. So we reach out to people cold all the time, every day. So we're inspired by what you're working on and really happy and excited to participate. Thank you. Perfect. So before we go into your work, I want to start with a question that they've always found has been very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And in what way has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Oh, yeah. So I grew up um, right outside of Philadelphia um, in the suburbs. Um, And I went to school. I went to the same school, um, Episcopal, for um, my entire life. Um, I was an athlete growing up, so I played soccer and lacrosse. I think that's had a really strong impact um, on my kind of later life and and career. Um, And um, I grew up, um, I have a younger brother. And my dad is an entrepreneur himself, um, which I think has also had a, a wonderful impact on my life as an entrepreneur. Um, 
and my mother actually worked in fashion um, before she had my brother and I. Um, and then I went to Harvard where I ended up meeting Sarah, uh, my partner and co-founder and best pal. Um, and uh, it was during our senior year at Harvard that we actually jumped up the idea for Margot, um, which we ended up pursuing full time after college. Wow. Okay. So I want to do a bit of a deep dive into Alexa, the early years. So you obviously grew up, you know, in, you know, you went to a school for your whole life. What was that like not having any other exposure to maybe any other environment? Do you think that in some way you were ready to see the world after that experience or... What was that like for you? Um, it was a wonderful experience. It's a fantastic school. Um, and we moved campuses a few times. So in some ways, it felt like there was some change. Um, but um, it was a, an experience that I'm very grateful for. Um, it was rigorous. Um, but I think I benefited from that in college. And um, I, you know, did, did different things every summer um, that I think definitely opened my eyes um, and sort of complemented what was kind of a more traditional year at home otherwise. Um, and I was an athlete. And I think that um, really exposed me to a lot. So I played um, soccer and lacrosse for school and outside of school um, and traveled every weekend um, playing soccer and lacrosse. It was a huge part of my life. And I actually ended up playing lacrosse at Harvard. Um, and kind of wonderful training, which I didn't realize at the time for life beyond. <laughs> um, uh, kind of most importantly, I think the kind of gritty mentality of an athlete really lends itself to being an entrepreneur because it takes a similar level of resilience and um, kind of undying determination every single day. It's you get knocked down and you get right back up. Um, so I'm I'm grateful for that sort of competitive spirit um, and it's something that I definitely lean on. So talk to me about that team experience as well. When you're in a sporting team, it's, it's, I mean, I personally find like it's unlike anything else, you know. Yeah, there's nothing cheering, better. Exactly. When you're cheering, you know, your mate on, you're passing the baton. For me, it was athletics. So, or, you know, with you in soccer, you know, hitting the ball and getting the goal. What did you find, you know, that experience to be like in terms of the team environment? Yeah, I think the most important thing that you kind of learn is that you're only as good as the people around you. Um, and it definitely translates to a startup. Uh, I think it translates to many things um, beyond the athletic field. Um, but I think in, in kind of the most important way, it's really humbling um, because you are part of a larger group of people who are kind of striving towards a larger goal. Um, and I think the ability to work with other people, to um, motivate other people, to be motivated by other people when you can't um, is really kind of a wonderful thing to learn at a really early age and then kind of have become part of your DNA. Um, I played on many teams and I, I think, you know, now today, 10, 15 years later, those people are some of the closest people to me in my life because you go through such intense circumstances, no matter what it is with those people. Um, and you kind of come out of it with, uh, you know, perspective and strength and kind of a massive sense of humor because you've also gone through some crazy things together. Um, and I think, uh, you know, looking back on my experience at Harvard, it's one of the things that I'm so happy that I participated in um, because it's kind of competing at the highest levels is, is um, unique and trying and difficult, um, but often creates the most um, 
kind of the strongest relationships and really fantastic memories. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So talk to me a bit about structure. I mean, I found that um, it also gives you a sense of structure. You know, you wake up at trainings at 6am, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is. Talk to me about how that, like that structure that you learnt, how did you translate, how did that translate through to the rest of your life? Yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, something that we're learning constantly, um, but something that I definitely learned, especially being a college athlete, is the beauty of being so overwhelmingly busy in a day is that you just don't have the capacity to sweat the small things. Um, and it actually is, at the end of the day, a really great thing because you have to kind of keep a level head and roll with the punches and figure it out. And uh, I think, you know, five years later now working in a startup, it's a very similar mentality of things are moving 500 miles an hour and um, you have to be able to roll with the punches and you have to be able to figure it out and kind of fly by the seat of your pants um, and, and learn and build and problem solve as you go. Um, and I think, you know, the similar kind of craze of being a full-time athlete and student at Harvard and kind of doing what we do now today in New York, um, there are many parallels that I think I'm lucky to benefit from mm, for sure what give us an example of some of the parallels between those two experiences um you know working on a team first and foremost um, we are a close-knit team here at margo hq uh, which is wonderful and we love it um but it takes you know you know Building a company takes incredible resilience and there are moments when it's just not going to work and instead of kind of backing down, it's like I'm going to find a way over, under, or around it because it has to work. Um, And I think on an athletic field, you're taught sort of similarly. It's like you figure it out and um, you get up when you get knocked down and you keep going. Um, And so I think that's kind of the most direct translation. Okay, wow. So I'd love to go a bit further into Harvard and how you even chose that school. And, you know, you said that the school that you went to, the high school you went to, really kind of prepared you for that. Did you ever feel like you were just on that one straight kind of path, you know, from a good high school to a good, like an incredible, you know, college to a good job, secure job? Did you ever feel like that? Um, You know, Originally, I had never dreamt of Harvard, um, kind of being the end game for me, actually. I, um, I, it was certainly kind of, you know, it was not in my sights at the beginning. And I had an incredible college guidance counselor who said, Alexa, I really want you to look at Harvard. And I said, I could never, I, I you know, I can't imagine. Um, and she said, just, you know, just do it for me. Just go look. Um, and I didn't necessarily know if I would fit in, if it would be the right place. Um, I was certainly intimidated. Um, and I did. I finally, she said, I was a lacrosse player. She said, I signed you up for the camp. You're going. <laughs> um, and so I went to the camp. Um, meanwhile, I was thinking about a lot of other schools at the time. And I remember coming back and saying, oh, my goodness, you are right. I, I kind of just sit right in with the lacrosse players at the camp, with the girls that I met on campus. Um, I think my favorite thing about it was that at a place like Harvard, you you know, you're a lacrosse player among many things. And I had many other interests outside of lacrosse. And I could be all of those things at once. And I really loved that. Um, so um, I did end up going. Um, it was like four of the greatest years of my life. Um, 
balanced. But there is certainly a pressure to kind of kind of follow that path, especially when you're at a place like Harvard. Um, and it's easy to get sucked in. Um, and I was certainly actually on that path um, to go into uh, growth equity in New York after school. Um, I had signed the job offer, um, gone the, f <laughs> gone all of the way after my junior internship, um, and it wasn't until senior spring that I started having this change of heart, and that Sarah and I started kind of spitballing and and dreaming up this idea for Margot. Um, and it was during this time, I was already really kind of in love with the startup world. I had spent summers working in venture capital. I had worked in kind of like every startup organization on campus while I was a student. Um, that I realized kind of how in love I was with this idea of building something um, and kind of figuring out something from the very from the ground up. Um, and that was kind of the aha moment during our senior spring that we had when we were dreaming at Marco that... You know, this was the time to do it. Wow. Okay. So I just want to backtrack a little bit into your internships at the venture capitalist firm. So I saw that you did two, one at a smaller firm and the other at a bigger firm. Talk to me about what that time kind of showed you and what, what you learned about yourself in the first internship. And then, you know, obviously you loved that world, so you could progress to the second and why that was. Yeah, I loved my two internships in venture capital. Um, I, I loved it because you had a kind of interesting balance of um, kind of getting to work with entrepreneurs and understand how they were running their businesses, but also kind of like an ex uh, accelerated path of being able to evaluate business models and understand what works and what doesn't and why they don't or why they do um, and what industries were interesting because of what reason, you know, various reasons. Um, and so it was kind of a, a schooling mm. in the startup world, which I loved. Um, but I kept finding, the thing that I learned about myself is that I kept finding myself falling in love with these companies and then just wanting to keep working with them. And I wasn't ready to just walk away after the investment was made. I was like, okay, now we're here, let's go. Um, and I realized I was probably more of an operator than an investor. Um, and that that's what kind of got me going. That was what made me tick. And that's what got me excited was the idea of building. Um, so um, it was certainly something that I, I recognized during my internship, but I had absolutely um, you know, no idea that a year later I'd be starting um, you know, a company of my own with Sarah. Um, and it was not the plan, <laughs> but uh, you know, thank goodness we found it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So did your... So obviously you said your dad's an entrepreneur. Did his background and passion for that, what influence did that have on you? And also, did you ever talk to him just about random ideas you had and bounce them off? And, you know, I love that, but yeah. interesting to know. Um, it had a huge impact um, on my decision to kind of jump into life as an entrepreneur and has had a huge impact since. Um, he is, you know, he certainly beats to his own drum and has always encouraged us to follow our passion. And that's been the greatest thing. It's no matter what you're passionate about, just go for it and dive head first um, and don't give up. Mm -hmm. So when we had this idea, 
I called him and I said, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. And he was wonderfully kind of neutral and supportive and was willing to let me figure it out. Um, But he, you know, really gave us, I think, a lot of confidence and courage in saying, go for it and go head first. Um, And you will, you know, have to work harder than you've ever worked and you'll have, you know, X, Y, and Z to figure out. Um, But if you're really passionate about it and you believe in the idea um, and you kind of have the determination to go after it, you know, you can do it. Um, and so we did. <laughs> and then the phone calls began. <laughs> and we started calling him on a very regular basis and saying, oh, my goodness, here we are. <laughs> now what? <laughs> um, and he's been an incredible source of support, um, you know, from a business standpoint, certainly. Um, he's spent his entire career working with entrepreneurs, but also just kind of from the emotional roller coaster support of being an entrepreneur. The highs and lows happen, you know, every day and sometimes within an hour of each other. Um, so, you know, having somebody who's gone through it and gets it and understands it, um, has been so wonderful. So did you have any other mentors throughout that time? Or was it mainly your dad who you were like, yes, I mean, he was definitely number one, but we had many, many incredible mentors. Um, we had one in particular while we were at Harvard, um, who was a fellow at the Institute of Politics at the time, and um, I was sort of working for him. Um, he was also an entrepreneur. He um, had started several businesses on his own, and so when we had this idea, we pitched him on it, um, and he was also one of those people who said, you know, I can see your passion for it, so, you know, you can't walk away now. Just take the leap of faith, and that's the hardest part, is just taking the leap. And once you take the leap, you're in, and you'll start flying. Um, and so he has been, you know, ever since an incredible kind of um, a sounding board um, and source of support for us as well. So interesting. So talk to me about that taking the leap for you. When was that moment? How did it arise? And how did you gain the courage to do that? It was, um, it was terrifying. <laughs> it Imagine. happened. Yeah. Um, so we decided, we were thinking about this idea kind of the second half of our senior year. We were taking secret trips to New York to prototype product. We were assembling kind of a board of mentors on campus. We were really trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together just to kind of explore the idea, um, see if it was even feasible. Um, And by the time uh, graduation rolled around, we had kind of fleshed out, um, you know, a greater a significant part of the idea. Um, We had really put a lot of thought into the brand and we had started to really seek out experts who could help us kind of realize this vision. And we were in love with it. And um, Cheryl Sandberg was our graduation speaker. And she kind of opened her, um, her speech with the question, you know, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I was sitting in the crowd with my parents and Sarah was sitting with hers. And I remember we looked at each other and we kind of locked eyes and it was like, we knew. And we knew exactly what that thing was. We had been working on it in secret for many, many months. Um, And it felt like if we didn't do this now, would we always wonder what if? So the days after graduation, we thought about it, we thought about it, and we thought about it, and we decided, you know, now was the time. Um, So we called our respective employers, who were wonderfully supportive, um, and we were so lucky that they were, and told them, you know, this is kind of something that we've fallen in love with and that we're passionate about and we believe in, um, and we think there's a real opportunity to do something unique and um, disruptive. And so from there... Um, we moved to New York, 
in July of 2014 um, with an idea as two 22-year-olds and 23-year-olds and nothing else (laughs) and um, went after it. Wow. I did ask this to Sarah, but I find it fascinating and I think it is different for every person. So what were the early challenges? I mean, new city, this city is crazy. You know, I've been here for a week and it's nuts. New city, you had, you know, your idea in hand, what came next? What challenges did you face? Yeah, I think, I mean, in, in some ways it's that exact question. Um, the, you know, one of the biggest challenges is where do you start? Um, you have, you know, what feels like a mountain in front of you and you have to sort of chip away. And Sarah and I had absolutely no business getting into this industry. We had actually no real world experience at all. So uh, there's a lot of figuring out going on. And um the hardest part was probably jumping headfirst into an industry that we had real no, you know, no real background in, um, and kind of making a name for ourselves and proving ourselves at every step of the way. Um, and so what we quickly realized is that meant we needed to kind of go seek out the experts across the board that could help us kind of be bigger than we were and reach farther than we could um, to accomplish this goal. So Sarah and I were relentless in kind of reaching out to anyone who would meet with us and pitching them in the idea and letting them beat up the idea and iterate on the idea and kind of perfect the idea. And at the same time, kind of meeting um, experts across the board, whether it was in marketing or, you know, package design or web or finance or logistics and fulfillment to product um, and kind of um, kind of putting together this team um, of all-stars that could help us at every part of the process um, really fine-tune what we were working on. What was the best piece of advice you got given in those early days? The best piece of advice was, in the, in the various earliest days, the best piece of advice was that you really don't have to be an expert in what you want to do. You just have to be willing to work hard enough to figure it out. Um, and that really kind of resonated with us, of course, um, because we weren't, but we had a vision and we had a, a unique idea that we thought really could, um, be something much bigger than the two of us. And, um, that's exactly what we did. We went after it. Um, and in some ways we were lucky to be kind of as young and as green as we were because we were able to admit what we didn't know. And we were also, totally unbiased in our approach towards the industry. So we had nothing kind of telling us this is not the way that it works because we didn't necessarily know. So we could question everything. Um, And that actually probably worked to our advantage. So what were some of the things that you questioned and that you kind of saw along the way? And I think even most, most importantly, what was it? How did you combat the maybe you know people back maybe backlashing against you or going this isn't you know this isn't how we do things in this industry and and all of that how did you stick to your guns so the the thing that we recognized kind of first and foremost which was really the impetus behind the idea and the brand was that there is um kind of a massive unmet need in the Thor market around fit it's not a problem that a lot of big brands want to take on and it's not a niche problem either there's a crazy statistic that's 88 percent of women wear the wrong size shoe um and we really felt like there was a way to kind of rethink the way that shoes and s- shoes are sized and sold um by creating 
kind of a two-part approach to our shoes, which was one, having a made-to-measure option where customers can measure their feet and we make the shoes to their measurements. And then two, offering um, widths off the shelf, so a narrow, medium, and wide at every half size. Um, it's the way that shoes actually used to be sold. Um, and then when you know inventory risks became much more um, significant for retailers, they kind of cut down on the offerings to be more efficient. Um, and what we kind of realized and believed in is that actually if you could offer more options to the customer, you would have really loyal customers as a result. Um, so we went to the factories. We started with the made-to-measure. And most people laughed at us. <laughs> they said, you want to reorganize our factory line to make the shoes to order. And we said, exactly. <laughs> they said, no way. Um, so that is kind of one of those moments where it takes the resilience to say, okay, I'll hear no 500 times before I'll hear yes. So we kept at it. And we were really lucky to find two people in the footwear world who kind of spent their lives building brands and um, working with brands who also believed in the idea and were excited by the challenge. And I think that's something we've learned is kind of surrounding ourselves with like-minded problem solvers has been really important. Um, and they helped us kind of go after the right people who would be willing on willing to take on the challenge. Um, so at the very end, we, find it, we ended up finding a factory that we still work with today. Um, they're a family-owned factory in Spain, and they're incredible. Um, they work for, with some of the, you know, most premier brands around the world and somehow agreed to try it with us. <laughs> um, Sarah and I actually traveled to Spain to make that happen. Um, and, and that was sort of the beginning of rethinking the way we were going to sell our shoes. Mm, for sure. So the travel part really interests me. Um, obviously that your ability to just say, you know, find someone who would take a chance on you is incredible. Um, but how did you know you had to go to Europe and, and make this happen? We um, kind of explored all options from producing in the United States to producing, you know, abroad in Europe. And at the end of the day, realized that um, so much of uh, the kind of making of a shoe is done by hand, that it really takes kind of the expert hands to create that really exquisite silhouette. Um, actually, the very beginning of creating a shoe is you create the mold, which is called the last. And that um, first last is hand carved um, by, you know, very experienced last makers who sculpt it um, with their hands. And when we realized that the, the hands and the expertise really kind of were in Europe and particularly Spain, um, we knew that we needed to go there. So we went to this little town where we still produce and we met everyone. And the beauty of working in a town like this is it's very concentrated. So everyone from the last maker to the sole maker to the manufacturers, like kind of all right there. Um, and we were able to kind of really build relationships with these people, um, which makes a huge difference and really kind of convince them to take a chance on us. Um, one of my favorite anecdotes was that at the very end of our trip, when we finally succeeded in convincing the factory owner to try it, just try how we were going to make these shoes, um, he said, okay. And a few months later, we found out that members of the factory line loved the shoes so much, they were so comfortable, that they had made them for themselves, and we're wearing them. <laughs> so That's it was amazing. a win. It was wow. a win. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes. I mean, sometimes yeah. I think... I think that's what is so cool about what you're doing. You're changing the way people see the whole industry, people see shoes in general. I myself actually had a small stint at a shoe store ah. and 
it was a lot about the comfort, but even still there were some times where you just couldn't find it for that customer because the sizes, they just weren't going to match up. So yeah, I can, I can definitely somewhat relate (laughs) to the industry. So it's, it's very cool. Um, Great. So I'd love to deep dive into a discussion about just not, you know, not following on that direct path. I know in your own experience, you just thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is something we're passionate about. Let's go for it. What advice would you give to someone with an idea? One of our peers listening has an idea, maybe hasn't done as much work as you and you and Sarah had done. Um, and, you know, but, but believes in the idea. What advice would you give to them? I would say, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ha- we got received early on was to kind of surround yourself with entrepreneurs or other people who are working on building things because the best thing you can do is have them kind of rip your idea to shreds and then build it back up again. Um, poke holes in your idea, challenge your idea because it helps you to refine your idea and really start to believe in it. And um, what we've learned as entrepreneurs is that you just never stop iterating and you never stop improving and you never stop tweaking things. Um, so I think as you're kind of going through the earliest stages of thinking about the idea and is it feasible and is it something I want to go after, kind of um, putting it in front of as many people as possible, people that you trust and people whose opinion you respect. But uh, that was a, a really important kind of process for us because especially when you're so far into the weeds and you're thinking about the details every minute of every day, having somebody with fresh eyes who has not thought about this and ask the ask the obvious questions and you kind of think, oh, you're right. Um, and sometimes you stick to your guns and, ch- and you can explain exactly why you're doing it this way. And other times it's like a really great opportunity to step back and think, oh, I could think about this in a different way. Um, so I think kind of surrounding yourself with with people across industries who maybe have nothing to do with what you're working on, but understand what it means to build something um, was really helpful for us. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? Did you just call people up? And go, I want to go yes, coffee. definitely. Yeah, okay. um, I, one of the greatest pieces of advice is, you know, leave every meeting with a name or two of someone else that you can meet. Um, and I think the beauty of being in a place like New York is that it's a really kind of tight knit ecosystem of, of, um, of, you know, startups and entrepreneurs and creatives. And um, we've definitely taken advantage of that. Um, I think, you know, anyone living in a big city has access to this, but otherwise, yeah, reach out cold. Um, Never hurts. And we always learn that you'll never get what you don't ask for. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. So I want to go a bit into the progression of Margot, the early idea, the, you know, talking, getting people on board, and then to what it has become now. So firstly, how, how long has that period been? Yep. And then secondly, yeah, how's the progression been? Yeah, so we um, graduated from Harvard in 2014. Um, we moved to New York that July, and we started working on the idea right away. Um, we moved quickly, all things considered, especially because we always kind of wanted to get the product out there, as we knew we would learn so much once we did. So we launched the following May of 2015. Um, and so now we're about a little over two years old. Um, so we've been working on it for three years, and um, it's been an unbelievable ride. We launched... Um, on May 15th, 2015 on Vogue.com exclusively on our website and we, you know, launched with a single product and a single silhouette and a color wheel of colors uh, with two fit options. And, you know, today have tripled the size of our team. We've um, introduced now 
five core product lines and several kind of more exciting special edition um, products. Um, we've opened pop-ups. So we have a store in Nantucket this summer. We are exploring an exciting city for the fall. We had one in Palm Beach this winter. Um, and we are um, really thinking now that the future of Margot could be a lot bigger, I think, than we ever dreamed of. Um, we knew we had a very kind of unique idea with this um, kind of focus on perfecting footwear through the lens of fit um, and have realized that the idea is probably not as niche as we even thought it might be and that we are hopefully kind of building something that will accommodate and empower this modern woman in her day-to-day life with shoes that take her everywhere she wants to go and are kind of going thoughtfully and slowly um, one silhouette at a time to do that. Yes, wow, that's, I find it so intriguing and interesting listening to this, listening to you talk about it, because it it really is, it really is something different. And I just, I think I want to take a moment to just acknowledge the work that you've done. I mean, look, we're currently sitting at your, you know, beautiful place here in New York. Um, You know, I can see like the, the mood board behind me with all the colors and it's just so cool how you weren't even in fashion to begin with you just created it for yourself so I do yeah I do want to you know congratulate you and acknowledge you on that thank you so much of course so yes my second last question to you would be what does it feel like to be a young entrepreneur taking control of your everyday having your own space your own team and just being out here in New York and doing your thing with a very bright future what does that feel like it um it feels energizing on a day-to-day basis it's a roller coaster and it's not easy um but I couldn't imagine doing anything different um because there's something that is energizing about the idea of building something there's something energizing about the idea that every day is different and it's dynamic and it's constantly changing and evolving and you have to keep up and actually stay ahead of it um but I think the ability to work with such fabulous people to kind of be working together towards something bigger each and every day and to um, be doing something that we really love that doesn't necessarily feel like work is so fortunate. Um, And I think it's only the beginning of a big ride. So we'll see. It's crazy and often chaos, pure chaos. But it's it's good chaos. So exciting. (laughs) I'm so excited. So, wow, this has been, you know, incredibly insightful and thought-provoking as I thought it would be. So I want to finish with one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at The Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of doing what you're most passionate about? That is a great question. I think the value of doing what you're most passionate about is that you wake up every day kind of energized to take the day on, Um, that work doesn't necessarily feel like work, that um, each day presents an opportunity to kind of build and grow and get creative and think beyond, Um, and that it teaches you to kind of be, you know, a, a creative problem solver. And I think they're all skills that have actually served me really well outside of work, um, but that have kept me, you know, motivated and excited and energized every day. And I think it's unique. um, And I think um, I couldn't imagine doing anything differently. 
it's just amazing. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time. Yes, and you. I've just loved being in your in your little home you've I've got loved here. You. <laughs> it's been so great. Um, so where can people learn more about you and Margot? Yes, you can learn more about us on our website, margoandy.com. Um, and follow us on Instagram at MargoNY. Perfect. Great. And for everybody listening, we'll end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.